Friedrich Nietzsche was a very intense fellow. Friedrich Nietzsche was the progenitor of the Nazis, in a sense, in as much as the Nazis, Hitler, Himmler, Goebbels, etc., and the rank and file used to, um, you know, idolize Friedrich Nietzsche, and they used to essentially capitalize on a couple of his concepts, things like, I think it's Ubermensch, the Superman, the concept that, you know, if you refine yourself in a certain way or, or you know, change yourself or transform yourself, I guess this is my take on it. Uh, you can become a super being. The super being, I guess, is the the same kind of sim symbol that I've been talking about. You know, can an ordinary person become a super being? So I believe what Nietzsche was hinting at or getting at was that you can become a super being, an ubermensch, something like that. I think it's ubermensch. Um, unfortunately, the Nazis took this to be something else. They took it to mean that they were, as Germans and as Aryans, they were super beings and they had the right to dominate other races. And other races were, you know, underlings or underbeings. You know, there's a word for that too. Like, I forget the word, but, you know, everyone from, you know, colored people to Baltic Europeans to Russian, they were almost subhumans right? Untermensch, perhaps. Anyway, Nietzsche was an intense person. I've been trying to get into Nietzsche for literally 25 years. At university, my beautiful girlfriend, Kate, gave me a copy of uh, Beyond Good and Evil. And, you know, just as recently as two or three years ago, I downloaded it onto my iPhone and I was trying to listen to the audiobook. It's just beyond me. It's just beyond me. The only thing of Nietzsche's that I can really appreciate, I, I mean, you know, I've tried to listen to Thus Spoke Zarathustra. Um, the only way I've been able to access Nietzsche is through uh, people like Jordan Peterson, like secondhand. Jordan Peterson, the eminent University of Toronto psychiatrist, psychologist, speaker, best-selling author, public figure, etc., uh, he talks a lot about Nietzsche and a lot about Dostoevsky. Nietzsche was an amazing figure, amazing figure. And he's essentially the greatest thinker of the 20th century. I think most people who have anything to say about it agree. Nietzsche himself, according to Peterson, would say things like this, which other people would validate. Nietzsche would say, I write more in a book than other thinkers can write in their whole lives or something like that and then he's like no i write more in a single line that than others can say in their whole lives things of that nature but at the same time he was at that exalted level of thought um which is borne out by his prophecies for example he was at that exalted level of thought where he made such proclamations and people such as jordan peterson and i guess your humble narrator Take those kinds of statements at face value. Nietzsche was something beyond. Nietzsche spent the last 10 years of his life essentially just out of his mind, cared for by his elder sister. I mean, he basically just lost it towards the end. He had health issues throughout his life. He used to go walking around in the mountains. 
you know, kind of very solitary, uh, at some point really famous figure, writer, philosopher, etc. I don't know much about him, and I won't pretend to know much about him. I do know that he went stark raving mad at the end of his life. And, you know, he'd be given a copy of a book to sign or something, and he'd, he'd twirl it around in his hand like a, a child saying, oh, didn't I used to write things like this and, and stuff like that. In any case, Nietzsche is well known for sayings such as, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And his famous saying, God is dead. Now, people, people unfortunately take this saying of Nietzsche's in the wrong way. God is dead was actually a statement that continues in the following way. God is dead and we have killed him and we will never be able to wash the blood off our hands. It wasn't a proclamation saying that, there is no God or God is irrelevant. You know, it was more a lamentation or a, at least an observation that Nietzsche lived during the crucial time when the power of the church, the 2,000-year-old, you know, omnipotent organization that had, you know, spawned the, the, um, the Inquisition and, and the Crusades and, you know, essentially the the suppression of 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 free thought and all this kind of stuff i mean leading to the enlightenment finally and then this turning point which nietzsche you know encapsulated with the phrase god is dead it was a statement saying that for 2000 in year for 2000 years people have believed in god and the church and 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 now they don't believe in the church and now they've let go of god as well or the concept of God in as much as that concept, which was the foundation of Judo-Christian morality. So essentially, this is what Nietzsche said, and this is what he prophesied, according to Jordan Peterson. He basically said the coming century is going to see cataclysms and wars that will claim millions of lives. And he predicted the rise of totalitarianism, which is essentially authoritarian rule in the form of fascism and communism. He basically predicted World War II. He said that the fact that this underpinning of Judeo-Christian morality, the idea of God, is now replaced by science and the Enlightenment and so on and so forth. And on a side note, as a Muslim, I just want to interject and say that science and religion are completely not at odds, according to my own way of thinking and uh, that of Muslims in general. You know, the universe is the ultimate scripture. You know, day and night are the divine hand turning over the pages of nature. I mean, the ultimate proof of God is manifested in your being and in the universe at large. In any case, a bit of a side note, Nietzsche uh, was an amazing figure. And if you want to get into Nietzsche, what I really, really recommend is either listening to lectures about him by other people, such as Jordan Peterson, or... You should find the amorphisms. They're known as the amorphisms of Nietzsche, which are the sayings, the short sayings of Frederick Nietzsche. And you know what? They're some of the most profound things that you'll ever read in your life, quite frankly. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm making a mental note to get back to them myself. Things like you may have heard of the famous statement, when you stare into the abyss, for long enough, the abyss begins to stare, stare back into, into, into you. And then 
in order, you know, and something like in order to destroy monsters, you become a monster, something like that. Anyway, Nietzsche, Nietzsche. So his famous statement that is kind of misconstrued or misinterpreted in a sense by self-help folks. He said that when you have a why, you can bear any what, which which simply means that man's ultimate satisfaction lies in meaning, in meaning, meaning. If you have a, an answer to the question why, then what is happening is irrelevant. You could be poor, you could be, you know, in jail, you could be, you know, hungry, you could be deprived, you could have lost a loved one. But if you can answer the question of why, if you have a why, you can put up with any what, right? So it's a very powerful kind of pointer. Why are we talking about this? Well, in talking about success, it seems obvious that material success in and of itself is not enough. And so I, I've kind of just brushed that whole thing over in the last two episodes and talked about the inner aspect of success. What is success internally? Internally. So um, sidebar once again, you know, self-help people take Nietzsche's statement that if you have a why, you can deal with any what, which means that if you have a reason, if you have meaning in whatever's happening, right? Why are you poor? Why are you broke? Why did she leave you? Why did he insult you? Why did why did that car crash into your front door or whatever, you know, hearkening back to 1996 and John Travolta and obviously um, Pulp Fiction? So self-help people will take this phrase of Nietzsche's and they'll say that, you know, if you have a why, then the how doesn't matter, right? And unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, that's kind of the problem with self-help. You know, self-help sucks because it's really a single-minded pursuit of material success. I have to say it. It seems to be the case. Less than 1% of 1% of self-help is really about becoming a better person. It's more about becoming a more successful person. And a more successful person is usually defined as a person who has all of the external things in order relationships, finances, health, yada, 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 yada. Now, it's not to say that money's not important. Money's very important. Try living without it for, for a few days and you'll realize how important it is. And you probably have lived without it for a few days <laughs> and you probably do know how important it is. Health, of course, is, is super important. Relationships, all of these things. However, <clears throat> there's two things. First of all, first of all, an external thing is only valuable in as much as the value you attribute to it. So you get a new car. You have a beautiful girlfriend. You have a great job. First of all, that new car, at certain point in time, it's going to, it's you know, the, the enjoyment that it provides you depreciates over time kind of exponentially. Like the day you get your new car, it's like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. And the first month or maybe even the first year. Heck, you know, when I met my wife, Judith, she had literally just in the previous few months bought a brand new Jeep Liberty uh, vehicle, like $40,000 uh, vehicle in back like 
15 years ago or whatever. By the way, we still have that very same car, right? And by the way, she's kept it so amazing that it beats the pants of most newer Jeeps, like in the like 2010 and above and so forth. It drives well. She's maintained it well. But the point I'm trying to make is that I drove that car. That was one of the things that I enjoyed for the longest time. You know, I had my own car. And uh, I drive the Jeep, then I sold my car when we moved to the States, and yada, yada. Long story short, um, I derived a lot of pleasure from that Jeep for many years, actually. But it still was depreciating pleasure over time. I still derive pleasure from driving it. It's so exceptional, exceptionally uh, well-maintained, and, and it's such an exceptional vehicle. And for sure, it's, it's something quite, um, you know, um, you know, enjoyable in terms of a great vehicle. However, anything in life, like car, wife, job, any external acquisition, on the one hand, it depreciates in, in value over time in as much as the pleasure or the use or the enjoyment that it's giving you. Second of all, unfortunately, it's just like the um, Red Hot Chili Peppers song. Pleasure and pain. Pleasure is always mixed with pain. You know, music is my aeroplane. Pleasure is always mixed with pain. And so same car becomes a headache, right? Like the insurance. And like, you know, somebody dings it or scratches it or you bang into a pillar or just like the stress of, of just taking care of things. Same thing with your new spouse or husband and so forth. And so there's all these things that can go wrong with externalities. First of all, you don't control them, really. I mean, we'd like to think that we do control them, and we're going to get there shortly. Um, you know, so A, you, you don't really control whether or not you get your ultimate job, right? Now, you can say I'm the master of my own destiny, and we'll get there once again. But, you know, for, for the most part, ultimately, you can't control what's going to happen to you tomorrow, let alone, you know, ultimately in every area of your life. You know, if you eat well, then... Uh, you know, you'll be healthier. If you exercise, you'll be healthy, et cetera, et cetera. But even at a macro or a micro level, you know, average, uh, lazy, self-indulgent person such as myself may not be motivated to eat well. I just had a bag of chips. I mean, point in case, I'm trying to cut down on eating heavy before going to bed. And then I've taken a snacking, right? On a good day, it will be like cheddar cheese and, you know, sodium or fat-free crackers or whatever. And then, uh, you know, on a bad day, it might be a bag of chips, right? So in any case, external things, A, they lose value over time and pleasure. B, they have uh, in built almost built in a propensity to create problems. I mean, I used to say something like possessions possess you. And it's, and it's true, really. Job, title, car bank account, however much you have on the ex external world, however much you've got invested in the external world is the amount of troubles and worries you have. It's, it's quite simply the case, like Biggie, uh, Biggie Smalls, right? Uh, more money, more problems. And if you ask rich people, um, you know, oftentimes you'll get that sentiment, like, you know, famous statement by the front man of Depeche Mode, my friend, my friend, Aliak Ginsburg told me that he once said that I was happier when I was stocking shelves at the supermarket. 
you know, Depeche Mode were the super were a super uh, group back in the eighties. Like basically, the guy was just like a latter day Jesus once again. But in any case, so external things, you know, obviously uh, benefit over time goes down. They're problematic, right? In in as much as you know, just owning them, you know, is is a burden can become a burden, right? And the ultimate thing with any external externality is that it's only it's only valuable to you to the extent to which you give it value right i mean what i'm trying to say is the pleasure happens on the inside the joy happens on the inside and by the way on another side note you can actually duplicate that same feeling and those same feelings and that same ecstasy as it were when you're swooning with with the keys of your new Mercedes in your hand, that same joy and ecstasy, it exists within you and you can access it through meditation and spiritual practices, right? I mean, I dare say self-help sucks and spirituality rules. That's really what it is. And I've been trying very hard to maintain a secular approach to this talk. But I hope I don't turn any rationalists or even materialists away with a statement that spirituality rules all i'm trying to say is that how you feel rules let's just put it like that let's not say that spirituality has anything to do with the spirit heck if someone like sam harris ultimate atheist um you know can write a book called you know wake up spiritual spirituality without religion right waking up something like that you know if sam harris can can um advocate spirituality then i don't see why any um you know run of the mill or average or other rationalists should have a real problem with it i mean all i'm saying i i've defined it once again we're just talking about how you feel let's just put it as simply as that so now quickly external things i've brushed over i've just spent the last few minutes talking about why i've brushed them over right but we'll get to them we'll get to them but for the most part, I think most people will agree that the path to any kind of success is, of course, begins with a mental step, right? I mean, like Bill Britt of Amway used to say, uh, the famous Amway kingpin, one of his uh, frequently repeated statements would be that things happen first in the unseen before they become manifested in the scene. So you start with, a, with an ideal and then you take action. Right, you start with a dream woman in mind, or you start with a dream mate, and you find them. And then, you know, the first step is always internal, and the ultimate satisfaction is always internal. So, of course, you know, choosing the rational, moderate approach, it's not to say that you should, you know, eschew, as it were, material possessions and become like the guru sitting in the forest saying, I don't need anything. Right. I mean, perhaps ultimately you don't need anything, but at the very least, um, if you have food and water and shelter and clothing and your your basic necessities taken care of, everything else is an added bonus. Prophet Muhammad said that a person who wakes up and they have their provision for the whole day, like food and water and clothes and everything like ninety nine point nine 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 percent of us in the Western world, what we take for granted, if you've got that in place, then he said this climatic statement it's like you've been it's like you've been blessed with the good all the good of this world and the hereafter it's simply a pointer once again to spirituality
It's simply a pointer to the fact that everything's within you. What you make of it is within you. Going back to Nishi, you know, if you have that new Mercedes, right? The problem there is that you lose sight of ultimate meaning. You're 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 wrapped up in 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 you know just a, a comparative kind of lifestyle approach where you know you're in love with you you've got to ask yourself are you really in love with this amazing machine as a feat of engineering right and do you really appreciate what's gone into it and the history and how the guy named this this car that he created after his girlfriend Mercedes and all this kind of stuff or is it that you you're you're in love with the status it gives you and how people are going to admire you you know so you've got to think about things like that and why those questions are important is another reason self-help sucks because self-help doesn't talk about morality for the most part it doesn't talk about what i dare say might be termed spiritual values it simply talks about externalities for the most part and that's really why it sucks and as as for how to go about it hopefully you know i'll approach each of the uh you know thematic components the main thematic components of self-help positive affirmations positive mental attitude slash positive thinking self-image the subconscious mind visualization right these are really the key five components of self-help theory and i'm going to get into each one of those in coming episodes. For now, I want to talk about meaning because we're going to say that, yes, of course, a material existence is important, right? However, it all starts on the inside and it ends on the inside. And on the inside, the question of what is most important internally, we've gone through talking about happiness you know is happy is being happy the most important thing well if that definition of happiness includes fulfillment in 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 its deepest form then yes that's all you need happiness or is it love or is it experience having the ultimate experience right just like living in a living in a dream in a sense of taking life as a dream right it doesn't matter what happens it's all just one varied amazing sublime experience and there's always going to be good and bad and up and down but the the point is to make the most of your experience and to experience it full on is it experience right is it something else something other than experience so what comes after experience is purpose or meaning you know so if you have meaning then uh then, then you're happy, right? So I guess what I want to end up with is the last step in this in this trajectory, going from happiness to experience as being the ultimate, right? So you go from happiness, is happiness the most important thing? Uh, whether you call that love, whether you call it passion, whether you call it fulfillment, or is experience the most important thing? We're, we're at the, the concept of meaning now. But I dare say, once again, there is a step beyond meaning. And I have to return to my Muslim roots once again and, and quote the sixth imam uh, of us Shia Muslims, the great, 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 great grandson of Prophet Muhammad, 
who said that there's nothing sweeter for the son of Adam than certainty, certainty. So the last block is faith or certainty. What do I mean by this? It's, it's the same thing that Don Juan said to Carlos Castaneda, that there's two situations where a warrior is at peace in a sense, right? Or just in harmony or at one, let's say. In one instance, he understands everything. Right, you have these days or these moments, they might happen once in months, really, if not years. But sometimes you're just overcome by the sense of serenity and tranquility. And it's like you just totally understand everything. Anything that you think about, it's like, oh, I see why that's the way it is. And once again, there's meaning embedded in this in this state, right? But it's not, it doesn't end there because Don Juan said that in the state of tranquility, you can either be in a state where you under, you either understand everything or you understand nothing, right? So sometimes you just find yourself and it's like, you feel like you're a stranger adrift in a, in a universe of wonders. And it's like, you don't really know what's going on, but it doesn't really matter anymore, right? I mean, it's the ultimate form of high. I suppose it's what People who take drugs, it's the dragon they chase, right? You might feel it the first time you do drugs, and then you end up chasing that high for the rest of your life um, as your health and mental state and, and general you know, uh, condition deteriorates. But faith, faith, right? So the same sixth imam talked about faith in this way, just to keep it secular. What is faith? Okay, so here, here's what it is. Someone asked him about faith, and he, he asked the man, have you ever been on a ship at sea at a storm? And the man was like, absolutely. In fact, that's, this happened quite recently. And the imam said, well, you know, this, the, the waves are thrashing upon the boat. The boat's rocking. Things are flying off uh, the deck. People are being hurled, tossed asunder this way and that. You're basically holding on for dear life. And the man is like, yes, yes, absolutely. This, this actually happened to me. And then the imam said, now, you're holding on for dear life, and you see everyone else flying overboard, drowning, things being tossed overboard. The, the ship is creaking like it's going to break any moment. And yet, you continue to fight for your life. And there was a part of you that, despite all the evidence to the contrary, struggled on and held on to the idea of you surviving although your death seemed imminent and then the man said yes absolutely this is exactly what it was and the imam said that that feeling is that's what faith is the man had asked what is faith that feeling is embedded in every person now from an evolutionary perspective from a materialistic perspective from you know from a scientific perspective i dare say I, I I had this discussion with an atheist friend, and he said, well, what you're talking about is just self-confidence, in a way. Because I, I extrapolated on that. I said, you know, this feeling inside you that you're going to overcome. When you say to your kid, you pat them on the head, and you say everything will be okay. You know, that's a faith-based statement. It's based on evidence. It's, it's you know, there's evidence to the contrary, and you're making the statement based, based on what? It's this this thing inside of us. And this is a key thing. You know, self-help sucks because it kind of touches on some of this without really getting into it. And it sucks, obviously, because it hasn't worked for you 
and it hasn't worked for me, or maybe it has worked for you. I don't want to come across as sounding too cynical because, as I mentioned, I continue to observe self-help and motivational uh, tapes, books, lectures, YouTube videos, you name it. You know, my latest thing right now, um, alongside Gary Vaynerchuk, obviously, is, you know, and alongside Gary Vaynerchuk and internet marketers, of which I consider myself one, quite frankly, um, you know, I, 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 although I feel humbled, uh, too humble to consider myself in the exalted ranks of internet marketers like Ty Lopez, for example, or uh, Alex Becker even, right, or, or Kevin David, um, you know, Jeremy Schumacher, uh, John Chow, some of these people, like, what they've accomplished is just so amazing. And people in general, the mainstream of people in general still have no idea of the power of the internet. Right. And so practical tip of this episode, I just want to say, dear reader, you need to figure out a way to make some money online or uh, express yourself, create something, do something, start something. I won't say join something unless you're passionate about something and you want to learn. Anyway, last minute. Um, so we've arrived at faith. If you feel faith, then nothing else matters. Literally nothing else matters. And that's what these gurus feel. That's what Jesus of Nazareth felt, right? That's what gets you through any kind of suffering. And that's the reason that we subscribe to this self-help Kool-Aid because we know deep inside that we can achieve anything, you know, that we can conceive of. So I appreciate you listening. Um, I'd appreciate you clicking on a link or a like or put in a comment or follow I'm doing this podcast on anchor.fm. If you're interested in starting a podcast, please go to Anchor and then it shoots your podcast out to all these other platforms. So we'll take it from faith in the next episode. And once again, I appreciate you tuning in. Take care. Awesome.